Let's pray. Father, we thank you for church, community. We thank you for relationships. We thank you for love. We thank you for the challenges of community. I pray that you would continue to bless us as we look to deepen our relationship with you and with each other. Now as we open your word this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. If you've noticed the little thing hanging from the ceiling over there, has anybody noticed it? Look up. There it is right in the middle. Everybody wave. They can't see you anyway, so don't worry about it. Um, We are always looking for ways to uh, get the message of Scripture out, and so we are now Facebook Live, and right now, Dana, are we on? We are on Facebook right now, and so any of your rude comments or eggs thrown at me will be seen by many people, so I would suggest that you don't throw eggs. Uh, Again, this is in an effort to um, get our message out, get the message out, that people can, if, if you're sick someday and you want to stay home, which I would not recommend because what better place to bring your illness than the church where you can be prayed for and possibly be healed. Just throwing it out there. Um, You can watch, log into our, log into, if you have a Facebook account, go to Oasis Facebook page and you can watch us uh, live on on Facebook. So uh, just another way that we are trying to get the message out, not only for us as a church and as a community, but the message of Christ and the gospel. So that's what we're doing. So nobody touch the camera or make funny faces. Well, I guess you can because that'd be pretty funny. Anyway. We continue to walk through Hebrews and we are almost done. We have one more chapter after this. And then we're on to bigger and newer things. But we're still in chapter 12. And the the conversation that's taking place in chapter 12 is the, the writer is kind of matching or, or kind of comparing our journey of faith to kind of like a marathon race. Our path, our faith journey with Jesus, it really is about going the distance. It's, it's not just a sprint. It's really about longevity. It's really about engaging rhythms of life that can strengthen us Along this, along this journey. And that's, and that's the key to, to running well. That's the key to finishing well, that we would engage in biblical rhythms that strengthen our heart, that will strengthen our soul. We, we focus, we maintain our focus always on Jesus. As, as the writer wrote uh, in, in chapters ago, he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And when we keep him in focus, we run well. When, and, and when we keep him in focus, all of the distractions around the, from the world that swirl around us, just, they're, just, they're less loud, they're less disruptive when we keep Jesus as our primary focus. Keep the cross as our primary focus. We are better able to run this race well we are better able to finish well. One of the things that we see in, in chapter 12 is that life can be tough sometimes. 
And so you mix faith in with that toughness of life, and guess what? Living a life for Jesus can present its own sets of challenges as we live in this world, as life, life is tough. And we've experienced those things. We know those things, and some of you have experienced greater hardship than others, but we all have been through the ringer. We all have been challenged in our faith. Now, remember, he is kind of comparing this faith journey to a race. Has anybody ever run like a marathon? Have you? A marathon? 26 miles? God bless you. I was a, a distance runner in high school, never ran a marathon, but I know the things that can happen over a long race. You get blisters, you get cramps, but you got to push through those things, right? You, you, you sometimes you hit the wall. I hear that in, in the marathon. I've hit the wall, but you got to push through that. Sometimes you toss your cookies. That's throwing up for you who are not into the lingo. When I was running cross country in high school, I had a thing that would happen to me when I ran hard. And the coaches kind of figured out that this was going to happen to Dennis at the finish line if he gave 100%. And I would toss my cookies. If I didn't, I got in trouble because that means I didn't run so hard. And I don't know why I told you that, but I just want you to know that I'm human too, okay? <laughs> but we can suffer those same, not blisters and cramps, but we can suffer those same distractions in this faith journey. We suffer from things like doubts. Sometimes we feel as if, as if God has abandoned us. Sometimes living this journey of faith can be very, very difficult because the world is coming at us from all different angles. And this is why we need each other, that we, would, that we would encourage one another, that we would lift each other up, that we would help each one of us to press in and press on. This is community. This is what we call the church. But there's something that happens in our journey of faith that usually doesn't happen in some type of marathon race. I mean, I've never, I've, I've watched a couple marathons um, for a few minutes anyway on, on TV. It's not the most exciting sport to watch. And uh, you, never, you never see people on the side of the road going, you stink. Just turn around and go back. Forget, just quit. You're going the wrong way. Unless, of course, they were going the wrong way, but usually that doesn't happen. But you never see distractors. You never see the naysayers. They're always encouraging. But yet, in our faith, that can actually happen. People distracting. People telling you, you're, what are you doing? Why are you living in this way? And this is exactly what was happening to the small Hebrew church that the writer of Hebrews is addressing. See, they have left Judaism, and now they've gone and they've said, no, no, we believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Jewish faith. And so they've left the synagogue and they've left their families and friends because, see, it was all interrelated back then. It wasn't, it wasn't here's church and here's the rest of life. It was all connected. And so their friends and their family are telling them, are you, are you serious? You're, you're going in the wrong direction. You are walking away from, from tradition of our faith. You're walking away from God. And so they've been outcast by their community of faith. They've been disowned by family and friends. 
because they've chosen to follow Jesus. They've been told, you are walking the wrong path. You should turn around and maybe, just maybe, God will receive you back. So the, the, this pastor, this writer of this, this letter, he wants to explain to the church, he wants to point out to them very clearly where they've come from and now where they've gone, where they're headed. And he does it in the context of the old and the new covenants. The old covenant represented by Mount Sinai and the new covenant represented by Mount Zion. And the difference is very, very different because at Mount Sinai, the people were told, don't even come close to this mountain or you're gonna have to die because the holiness of God is on display. And in Zion, we're invited to come close to God. The difference is the terror of the law compared to experiencing the joy of God's grace on Zion. And so, let's dig in. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 21. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking towards speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So in the context of what's being written here, we have to go all the way back into the book of Exodus to understand what took place, what transpired at Mount Sinai. It was a terrifying event to behold for the people of Israel. Moses starts off by telling them, okay, something, something's going down. God is on the move, and you all have to prepare yourself for the next three days. You have to make sure that you are ceremonially clean, that you cannot, you cannot become unclean by, by breaking anything that may make you unclean. In fact, you have to wash all of your clothes. You have, to, you have to abstain from marital intimacy. This is a big deal. Don't mess this up. It wasn't a joke because what they were about to see would just shake them to their very core. I'm going to read to you a little bit. After three days, this is what happened. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This would have been like standing at the base of an erupting volcano. Terrifying watching this all happen. Even more so because what was erupting was the holiness and the glory and the splendor of God. And the people were just, were just blown away by this, horrified, terrified. The presence of the Lord was so intense, it was probably right up to that point where they could, if they took any more, if they witnessed any more, they would just fall dead. 
and the trumpet blast. I find that very interesting because then it says this, the way it's worded, that the trumpet blew, the shofar, and then it grew louder and louder. And we really don't know if it was natural or if it was supernatural. And see, I would lean to believe that it was supernatural, that there was an army of angels present at Mount Sinai, and the trumpet was, was blown, the shofar was blown to announce the presence of God is here. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 33 that says, um, um, God came from Sinai with thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. Angels. It's no joke. This is the presence. This is the display of God. And the people trembled with fear. Even Moses trembled with fear. Could you imagine what that must have been like? The earth, you're experiencing an earthquake. Anybody ever experience an earthquake? You're experiencing an earthquake. And the sky is black, deep darkness, worse than any summer thunderstorm that you can ever imagine here in Connecticut. And those cracks of thunder, you know the ones that, that take your breath away and make you jump in the summertime? The, the, the lightning being so intense that the hairs on your arm are standing up. And they know this is all about the presence of God coming down on this mountain. And everything in them wants to run and hide. There was such holiness on that mountain that if a person even put their foot to the base, they were to be killed. Even if an animal, your little Fido, the puppy dog, no, Fido, come back. Oh, Fido got to die. That's the holiness of God that was present. And this scene instilled fear of the Lord. Like, not, oh, like, oh my gosh, we're going to die fear of God. Moses would say in chapter 20 later on that God has come to test the nation, that the fear of him may be before you and you may not sin. I'm thinking if I witness that, I think I would have been a little bit nervous and maybe behaved for at least a day or two. And yet in this whole scene, because we know the whole book, because we know the beginning to the end, we see the holiness of God coming down on the mountain. And we know the sinfulness of the human heart, that we are all sinners. And I, and I see this as another Example, another outpouring of the grace of God. God is telling his people, this is who I am. This is the, the, the holiness that I am. This is the majesty of who I am. This is just a taste, a, a small little mustard seed demonstration of the power of who I am. It's God's grace to his people. And see, the law was given in that day during that time. And yet, in all of that glory and holiness, the law never gave us a way to overcome our sinfulness. The law never healed the heart. The law always condemned us. And this is why the writer here is telling the church you have now, you're not coming to a mountain that you cannot touch. 
Don't listen to those people who have told you you've gone the wrong way, that you're walking away from God. You're walking toward him. He's encouraging them, focus on Mount Zion. It's the spiritual mountain of God's grace and his love for his people. You know, as I think about the the contrast of Zion and Sinai, Sinai and Zion, I don't think that there's many of us in the church that wants to go back to Sinai. Like, there's not many people that, that want to go back to that volcano of God's holiness, trembling with fear, like fear to, fear to approach him. Later in, in uh, Exodus 20, the people tell Moses, don't let God talk to us or we're going to die. You talk to us. We'll listen to you, but please don't let God talk to us. Nobody wants to go back there. Nobody wants to to experience that. But yet, I believe that we create for ourselves our own little personal Mount Sinai's. And I'm talking to the church here. Now, we know that we cannot earn our way back into God's graces. We know that, that grace is that free gift by faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we can't behave well enough. We, we know the theology of it all. But why do we still, every one of us, I would say, still holds on to that little, little thing, that little wisp of, I better behave correctly. We all hold on to that little piece of Sinai because we're worried that we are not going to uh, meet the standards of God. And we create for ourselves our own personal little moralities. And we try to base them on the Bible. I, I don't think this is, a, this is a horrible thing. But we all live in our own heart and soul with just a little bit of legalism. Some more than others. Some of us more than others. But anything that you can muster on your own pales in comparison to the holiness of God. You got nothing, I'm telling you. And when we, when we create that legalism for ourselves, it's very easy to let that pour over into judgment for those around us. Look at the, what they're doing. You believe that? Look at how she said, I can't believe he did. Mm-mm, I would not. Mm. And we become judgmental and it divides the community of God. Grace is scandalous. And so the writer says, no, no, no. (laughs) You're, You're no longer told to keep away from God. There's a new mountain. There's a new way. There's a new place for you to come. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have come home to Zion, We have come home to God's grace. We have come home to the invitation that God has given us through Jesus Christ. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. 
in a very spiritual sense, we have arrived home. We have moved away from Sinai, and now we come to the mountain, to the home of Zion. And we live in that already not yet of Scripture. We live in that place where we know that we have been saved. We know that we have salvation. We know that we have been justified by the grace of God through faith in Christ. But we still live in the not yet of the return of Jesus when he, when he redeems this whole big mess that we got going on down here. The day that, that will come when, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll see Jerusalem coming out of the sky. And we will live physically with God. We will see him physically, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. That's the not yet of where we are. But yet we still live in the spiritual reality of just a little taste of what it's going to be like. And we get to engage our citizenship. Paul writes in Philippians 3 that, that our citizenship is in heaven. It's, it's not part of this world. And we, we await our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he will return and he will reveal himself to us. And we are at Zion, not because we deserve it, not because we, we, we behaved our way in, not because we had a really good argument at the door and we kind of schmoozed our way in. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ because of what he did on the cross. Now understand the holiness that we experience because of Jesus is that same holiness on Sinai. It's that same fire and earthquake and smoke and trembling and just, just amazing display. But through faith in Christ, we are allowed to come forth and touch we are invited now to the Father. We are invited to that throne of grace. We don't even have to, we're not even, we can go move beyond the mountain. We can come right to the throne of the king, the throne of grace. With confidence, the writer says. With confidence. And to run this race well, I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you, to run this race well, please begin to understand the holiness that you have been given been given because of Jesus. Please understand the righteousness that has been given to you because of Jesus. Please understand that you don't have to walk through this life with your head held low because you messed up again, but you can raise your head up, focus on the cross, the perfecter of our faith, the pioneer of our faith. Know that you have been forgiven and know that you've been given a second chance. You've been given a third and a fourth and a fifth. I'm not saying that you got license to do whatever you want because, oh, God's gonna forgive me. If that's your attitude, then you probably do not know salvation in God's grace. But when you come back to the Father, to that throne of grace in confidence, man, you're, you're forgiven. And once you begin to realize who you are in Christ, you will live, begin to live victoriously in this world. You will be able, you will live in boldness in this world. Now there's, there's a sentence in here that I just, that always kind of brings me back to this reality. You have come, uh, it's the second half of 22. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. This is just kind of pointing out to us this Reality, the spiritual reality that angels are everywhere. 
Now, now I, I don't want to freak anybody out, but I believe that there are angels present in this room right now. And at any time, God can reveal that to us, or he can keep it on the down low because you would all probably run out of here screaming. Because anytime the angel is revealed in the Bible, people go, and they just fall down. And the angel's like, dude, what are you doing? Get up. I'm just an angel. Ish. There's a spiritual reality that takes place in us and around us. And we have come together with this joyful assembly of angelic host, ministering angels for us, his children. There are countless stories that you can read, and I was reading a few this week as I was kind of uh, messing with this verse, of missionaries who were in foreign lands, deep in jungles, and, 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 and just in other hostile places, and people were coming to kill them because they were bringing this message and there has been documentation, not video, but stories written about these, these people that wanted to do harm were stopped dead in their tracks by angels. They were described as tall soldiers with shining faces. They've been described as huge men dressed in white with flaming swords. Angels. Now, I guess missionaries, they could be lying. Maybe they were drinking a little of the fruit punch that the natives rocked out on. I doubt it. There's a spiritual reality, an angelic host. They're in this room with us right now, ministering and watching and doing the will of God. This is what the scripture teaches. And they're not only there to care for us, but the force of this passage is that we join them together with, with joy. The angels at Sinai, as they blew the shofar and steered trembling and fear in the people, and now we join them in joyful worship. When you were worshiping this morning, when you were raising your hands and singing from your heart to God, you joined the angelic host as they sang their praise to God. Amen. We worship side by side with them. We gather with them, they gather with us. The church of the firstborn, this community of Jesus' followers. Jesus is said to be the firstborn. And, and the firstborn in this culture meant that you had certain privilege, that you had certain prestige, that you got the majority of the father's inheritance. You were very, very special as the firstborn. Because of the grace of God through faith in Christ, we share in that inheritance. We are heirs with Christ in that. We are all considered firstborn. And we all have the privilege and the prestige of what the firstborn would get. We are heirs with Christ. Who he is, we now are. That's your identity. That's who you are. Each one of us is treated as the special first child. Woman, man, treated as the firstborn. Those who have gone before us, those who are here now, our names are written in the book of life in heaven. Our names, your name is written in heaven because of Christ and grace that is Zion. 
And the family of the firstborn keeps growing and growing and growing because the riches of God, the riches of God will never run out. It will, there's plenty to go around to all of us. The church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of righteous, the righteous made perfect. You have come to God, the judge of all, This is no little casual afterthought. It's a big deal because the God of Sinai is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God. Remember that the author, back in chapter 10, he said said about God, that the word of God says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge the entire earth. And then that that verse that always kind of grabs a hold of me, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. There will be terror on that day for those who have denied Christ. It's what the scripture teaches. For those who put their hand up and say, God, nah, I don't need your blessing. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your grace because I got my sin and it looks good. Like I said last week, it's a horrible way to live. But for those who by faith said, God, I got nothing to give you. God has given us everything. For those who have nothing to give, except our own sinfulness. God said, I'll take that and I'll replace it with my own righteousness. Jesus has taken our judgments, our punishment, and he has set us free to live in relationship with the Father as a firstborn, as blessed. I'm gonna let you in on something, okay? I'm God's favorite. You laugh. I'm, let me say this again. I'm God's favorite. And you're right. Some of you are right. And each one of you by faith are God's favorite too. He, play, he plays favorites. And we are, the church, his favorite. And there's enough of favorite to go around. I might have a little bit more than you, but that's, but that's okay. But you're pretty close. Like really close. Because we have the righteousness and the blessing, the grace and the mercy of God. We have been made perfect through Christ. Perfect by faith. Names written in the book of life in heaven. Then verse 24 says, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We... You and I have come to Christ, and he mediates out a, a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of life. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, and at Sinai, along with the people, and that display of holiness, they trembled with fear. And again, I'm not talking about, like, we like to say, oh, the fear of God is like, oh, no. This is like, oh, my God, hide me. I don't want to hear his voice. 
I'm going to die. Fear. Fear. But now, through Christ, we come to that throne of grace with confidence. There is no more of that fear. What is promised in the new covenants is established and it's sure and it will come to fruition because those promises are, are grounded in Jesus himself. He is the source of our hope. He is the keeper of our promise. He is the salvation to all who would believe by faith of what he has accomplished on the cross. And it's he is in us. We are in him. And the invitation church has come home to Zion where there is grace and acceptance and love. This is our home. And as the blood of Abel cried from the ground for vengeance and judgment, the blood of Christ poured from him on the cross and said, you have been forgiven. This is who you are. And you need to understand this, need to understand it in order to live well in this life. Jesus said, it's finished. I did it. I've done it for you. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. The church that meets over there, there's a few of his favorites in there too. (laughs) Don't ever let yourself Think for a moment that you're not good enough because you're not. (laughs) Always remember that God's grace has made you more than good enough. More than good enough. Always remember that it's for freedom that you have been set free. To walk with your head high. I, I just, I keep coming back to this theme and it just, I see so many people beat the death out of themselves when God is just telling you, stop it. I took care of it. You're my son. With you, I'm well pleased. You're my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. Now live as, as somebody who has the favor of the Father upon them. And when you get a hold of that, church, you will begin to understand your identity. You are no longer standing at the, the base of Sinai saying, stay away. There's way too much holiness for you here. Now we are now at the, the throne of Zion. And the invitation is, come on. Come up to this throne of grace and sit on your Father's lap. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it shares with us. Thank you for the love that it pours into us. And God, I ask that you would bless this community. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, each one here would walk in the victory that's already theirs. 
a victory that, that's been given to them, a strength that's provided by the Holy Spirit, and forgiveness that goes beyond what they can ever understand. May we live victorious. We pray this in the name of your Son, who has granted us all good things. Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I love you guys. I will see you next week.